Section 8 of the Roosevelt Rondon Scientific Expedition and the Telegraph Line Commission. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rita Boutros. The Roosevelt Randan Scientific Expedition and the Telegraph Line Commission by Candido Mariano da Silva Randan. Translated by Richard George Reedy and Edwin Douglas Murray. Second Lecture, Part 2. The expedition for the reconnaissance of the river Duvida was supplied with seven canoes recently built, the larger of which, with a cargo capacity of eighty arobas, about one and a quarter tons. One of these canoes was set aside for the personal use of Mr. Roosevelt, two others for the services of the topographical survey, which I took under my charge, together with Lieutenant Lira and Mr. Kermit as sign-bearer. The remaining four were lashed together in pairs, forming a kind of raft. Besides the persons whose names I have just mentioned, the expedition was increased by the American naturalist Cherry, the physician Captain Dr. Cajaziera, two soldiers, eight regional volunteers, and six civilian laborers. The members of the expedition were, therefore, twenty-two in all. Having completed the last arrangements for the embarkation, we commenced to descend the river Duvida shortly after midday on the 27th of February. The river, swollen with the waters from the rain, for we were in the rainy season, had where we were a width of twenty meters. The flood was so great that the current as it pushed by touched the lower surface of the platform of the bridge which the Telegraph Lines Commission had built there. This flood, however, was of great advantage to the expedition, inasmuch as we were thus enabled to float over the many obstacles which would, for this reason, be submerged. Numbers of fallen trees lying across the river from one bank to another, many dry patches of land, some of which perhaps rocky, would certainly hamper our navigation if we were to undertake it during the dry months. Now they would not ever be seen, and would therefore give us no trouble whatsoever. On that day we traveled 9.314 meters, at times through thick woods, where the heavier Brasiliensis already appeared in different parts, and again through low and swampy lands. The soil was constituted of Parisis Aronite. The course of the river took the mean route northwards, and the survey was made with 114 stations. We spent the night at our first resting place on the right bank, and proceeded from there on the following morning at 8 o'clock. After traveling 14.778 meters, we found on the right bank the mouth of a river measuring 21 meters wide by a depth of 4 meters, which we recognized as being the Festa de Bandiera, a name under which since 1912 we have known, the waters of a source called Carumicharu by the Nambequaras. We concluded that day's work at a place 1.750 meters below this bar, or, say, at 25.842 meters from the bridge called Ponte d'Alinha. 
on the following day the first of march we covered and surveyed a length of twenty point three seven seven meters notwithstanding that we were seriously annoyed with very heavy rain which poured in torrents from eleven o'clock up to one o'clock in the afternoon in this section we found first the mouth of another river with a width of fifteen meters and soon after numerous signs of the nambiquara indians probably of the group called Navate. Among these signs I would like to mention a dam for fish built across that river, which for this reason became known as Ribiero da Tapagem, thickets of former clearances for plantations, a landing place with a few small huts, and a pinguela footbridge of considerable length along which was stretched a sipo or liana in such a way as to serve as a handrail on the following day the second of march we were only able to navigate from eight a m up to three thirty p m making a run of twenty point zero one three meters there we were obliged to stop the march and encamp because right ahead of us the river formed rapids which made it impossible for the canoes to cross a little before, this incident had already announced itself because the waters began to run impetuously, and when we found ourselves in the midst of them, it became difficult to prevent the swamping of the craft belonging to the surveying party. For this reason we called this place Corrediera do Apuro. As soon as we set foot on land, we went ahead by the river's bank, to a point where it was possible to examine the obstruction which had made us stop. We saw the river, in a distance of two hundred meters, flowing with enormous velocity between rocks of ferrugenous aronite, which appeared there and everywhere deeply cut out, smashed to pieces, and thrown one on the top of the other by the rushing force of the waters, which precipitate themselves in violent gulfs then appears an island the last stronghold of resistance which that ruined ground offered against the indomitable pertinacity of the current but the two portions into which this current appears to be divided reunite themselves again and penetrate in a funnel-like corridor dug out by them in the rock and throw themselves into the lower part of the bed of the river and continue to rush in revolted bubblings through a channel cut into the massive aronite in this way that portion of the river in which our navigation was stopped continued for a length of more than one thousand meters below where we had encamped we had therefore to portage our canoes for this purpose we had to cut a road across the woods joining up the point where we were to the nearest point below the rapids where navigation could be recommenced then the men of the expedition would with the aid of ropes draw the canoes along this road until they could replace them in the river and would carry on their shoulders all the cargo in order to pass it also from the upper to the lower part of the rapids this work is evidently extremely tiresome not only in view of the exertion it requires to drag along the canoes but also and chiefly owing to the necessity of felling numerous trees in the woods which border the river fortunately the place where we were was a site which the nambiquara navate indians were in the habit of frequenting 
This we found out by a trail very much trodden, running across the place where we had set our encampment, and which went on along the bank of the river until it crossed same by a pinguela footbridge, near the place where the river was reduced to a width of one meter sixty centimeters. But for the position in which we were placed, the best signs of these visits were the camps opened up by the Indians, and some even recently burnt. Our work for portaging was thus greatly simplified, inasmuch as it was not necessary to cut down a great number of trees. The third was entirely spent in the preparation of the new encampment, which was already the fifth during this expedition, and in the transportation to it of our baggage from our previous camp. The portaging of the canoes was commenced at dawn on the following morning, and by the evening was almost concluded. While Lieutenant Lyra superintended this work, I took with me two dogs which we had with us in our expedition, and crossed over from the right bank to the left by utilizing the bridge built by the Navetes. I followed the trail of these Indians, and entered their lands and the forest for the purpose of making a small reconnaissance. I saw three headwaters of a river, and several thickets of former plantations. I did not, however, find any signs of a settlement. I returned from this short excursion still in time to effect the survey of the portion occupied by the rapids, and which I found to measure 1.310 meters. I gave the name of Salto Navete to the fall which exists at this spot. The outcrop of the rock which occasioned this fall corresponds entirely to that which determined the cascade called Paraiso, except in regard to the direction it takes, for here it goes from southwest to northeast, while in the former case it runs northwards and terminates at the Barrao de Melgaso station. The rock is of a ferruginous sandstone, with hard incrustation which has in many places resisted the shock of the enormous current produced by the sudden change of level of the bed of the river. All the naked surface is being decomposed by erosion, which is slow, but increasing. In many places there is a certain quantity of thick gravel, quartzite pebbles, and pure quartzite, which indicate the former beds of the river. The fall itself is formed in the shape of an elliptic curve which causes the waters to converge as if they were about to enter a funnel. The fall to which we have just referred is the largest, but there are two others, one above and the other below it. After we had concluded portaging the canoes on the morning of the 5th, we proceeded on our journey downstream. The river, on both sides, continues to appear to us rich in rubber trees. Its forests grow rapidly denser and denser, and therefore more picturesque. The Canela Ribierinha appears everywhere, and also some specimens of the Moritia vinifera are to be seen. On the evening of that day we pitched our sixth camp, called Dacanha, on the left bank on ground covered with tall woods. We had traveled 11.890 meters, and were therefore at 74.120 meters from the point of departure of the expedition.
At the place where we had our present camp, the duvida was forty-five meters wide, or say five meters more than at the position of our fifth camp. From this place we descended on the sixth a distance of 19.420 meters further down. We halted shortly below the bar of a river, to which we gave the name of Figuera, and pitched our seventh camp called Do Asahi, because we could already hear from there the roaring of a second waterfall which required exploring. During this travel we noted on one side and the other of the river eighteen sources or headwaters and five rivers. We also found another pinguela footbridge with Sipo liana handrail made by the Indians. From the stations 745 and 746 of the topographical survey, we could see in the direction of the south a high range of mountains which apparently lay at a distance of some four kilometers from the left bank of the Duvida. From that moment we went on meeting, from time to time, some of its slopes which almost reached the river. The removal from the seventh camp to the eighth had to be conducted overland along a road of 490 meters cut out in the woods which wound around the waterfall. This removal and the preliminary arrangements for the portaging of the canoes were effected on the seventh. The waterfall comprised two main falls 100 meters apart, preceded and followed up by dangerous rapids. The terraces of these falls were formed by a rock of red porphyrite, which lay across the river in the normal direction of its course. On the following day I found out that below the point selected for coming out of that portage road, it was necessary to cut through another one, 180 meters in length. Notwithstanding all the goodwill of Lieutenant Lyra and Mr. Kermit in executing this service, it was not possible to conclude same before the tenth. These developments caused a great deal of annoyance to Mr. Roosevelt, who feared lest all this should result in delaying still more the termination of the journey, and consequently in upsetting, to a certain extent, his plans of an early return to the United States. He repeatedly inspected the plan which we went on making of each day's march, and endeavored to foretell the end of these and other contrarieties. But in spite of all this he did not change, even in the slightest measure, his habit of writing down every day the notes of his impressions of each moment, and a few more pages of the book whereby he intended to divulge the things which he saw and the facts that were occurring during his travel across the Brazilian wilderness. Besides this, he still set aside a certain amount of leisure time, every day to go into the forest, taking his gun with him. He was always alone on these excursions, and most frequently he returned without any game whatever, as being short-sighted he did not always succeed in seeing the game from afar, and the latter, in its turn, was scared and fled when it heard his footsteps as he approached it. Finally, on the 10th, we were able to proceed on our reconnaissance of the Duvida below those falls, the larger of which took the name of Ses de Marco. 
We did not succeed in traveling 732 meters completely unhindered. We soon after came up to another cataract. Fortunately in this one there was a channel which permitted us to pass the canoes over unloaded. The baggage and the men had to descend overland and cover a distance of 403 meters before they were able to re-embark. Even thus, our march was delayed during three hours, which was the time required to effect the passage. To this cataract we gave the name of Jacare, because it was at this place where we saw, for the first time in the Duvida, one of these amphibians. Some 607 meters below this waterfall, we came across another one, which we crossed without any trouble beyond unloading the canoes and descending them through the channels with a pilot and a prowman. As it was already very late, Mr. Roosevelt suggested that we should halt and camp there. Our survey registered for that day the insignificant march of 1.847 meters. We were thus more than 120 kilometers away from the starting point of the expedition. The river here showed a width of 100 meters and flowed through a soil with an outcrop of diabase, diorite's greenstone. At first I had given the name of Jacutinga Aterada to our ninth camp set out in this place. On the following day, however, I had to alter it and call it Quebra Canoes. The reason of this change of names was that during the night one of the pontoons had broken its tackle and having remained at the mercy of the current of the rapids went to pieces against the rocks. We lost two canoes in this way, and in order to replace them, we ordered the men to fell and dig out a large tree belonging to Euphorbiaceous species, the timber of which is called Tata Juba, and is of a yellowish color. The new boat was ready and launched on the 14th. We recommenced our navigation at one o'clock in the afternoon and continued until 5 p.m., covering a distance of 14.671 meters. We established our tenth camp at a point on the left bank where there was a giant tucum, Astrocarum tucuman, cut by stone axes, naturally by the Indians settled in the vicinity. Besides this, Lieutenant Lyra killed and offered to Mr. Cherry the naturalist for his collection a gralhayo, a bird of the Falconidae species, which gave its name to our camp. Ever since we left Quebra Canoes, we had found the river with an appearance of a continuous series of rapids rushing over a bed of diabase. For this reason, we were obliged to abandon the method previously used in the survey of fixed stations and to adopt instead that of sighting with the front canoe in motion. The forests likewise change. We now see on both sides of the river numerous rubber trees and also Brazil nut trees, which are here called para nuts, and as the ground is mountainous, the caucho is to be found in abundance. Among the hardwoods characteristic of the Amazon region, we still find many others which are peculiar to the sub-basin of the Paraguay. In regard to the palm trees, the Buriti, the Asahi, and the Patua appear frequently, and in large numbers. 
the Inaha, the Bakaba, the Tucuman, and others are scarcer. We left the Gralhayo camp at seven o'clock on the morning of the 15th, and as the course of the river below this place appeared to us to be calm, we again adopted our method of surveying by fixed stations. This calm was, however, of a short duration. After traveling a distance of 4.184 meters, the waters commenced once again to flow impetuously and rushed through a dangerous channel of a new waterfall into which they emerged in furious bubblings. Having ascertained the true importance of the obstacle and the impossibility of crossing it, I directed my canoe towards the left bank and ordered the leading canoe, which was carrying the sighting staff, to do the same. As soon as we set foot on shore, I went with Lieutenant Lira and the prowman Joachim to survey the route of a road which should take us to the end of the falls where we desired to camp. On concluding this work, we returned to the place where my canoe was secured in order to make arrangements for the transportation of the baggage. On arriving there, we did not find Mr. Kermit, nor did I see his canoe. I inquired of the pilot, Antonio Correa, what had happened, and he replied that Mr. Kermit, having paid no attention to my order to come alongside, had descended the rapids. We thereupon retraced our steps towards the falls. A little further on, running towards us, I saw our dog, Trejuero, who had been traveling in the leading canoe. Our anxiety became greater and greater, for the dog showed signs of having been drenched in the current. We hastened our pace, and as we were about to reach a slope at the end of the road, we saw Mr. Kermit coming up, same, dripping wet. The relief which we then felt gave rise, in spite of ourselves, to our chafing remark, Well, you have had a splendid bath, eh? Our friend replied that he had escaped from drowning, and that the other men who had capsized with him, the canoeros, Hueo and Simplicio, were on the opposite bank, where they swum for safety. The canoe, together with its load, had disappeared in the whirlpool. End of section 8